0: This is a podcast from ABC Overnights. Here's Trevor Chappell.
1: Tim Fraunfelder is a PhD candidate in paleontology at the University of New England, where he's been part of a discovery. Hello, Tim. Hi, Trevor. How are you? Good. Tell us about that discovery. So we discovered
2: uh, an ankylosaur skull. So uh, an ankylosaur is one of those dinosaurs, uh, I guess, like ankylosaurus. Um, that are most famously known for being covered in uh, really big pieces of armor, and they have a tail club on the end. Um, so we described one of the skulls of, of those animals. Uh, we we scanned the skull at the Synchrotron Scanner in Melbourne, which is a, a football field-sized scanner. Yeah. Um So we we scanned that, and then uh, I digitally removed all of the bones uh, that we had in the skull from the rock, um, and we identified it as Kinberosaurus, which is uh, another ankylosaur dinosaur from Queensland, um, and it's the only other skull known from Australia, which is about 500 kilometres away from where this one was found.
1: Because we normally associate discoveries of that nature to be done in a field. How is it that can happen within a university or within a, within a museum? So sometimes they, they get lost. Um, sometimes you, you definitely absolutely
2: know what you've got in the field and you can tell that um, it is amazing because it might be something completely brand new or um, a type of animal that's not found, uh, hasn't been found in that location yet. But sometimes they, they get found, um, put in a museum or a university collection, um, and then just they end up being forgotten about until someone comes along and, and rediscovers them.
1: So does that mean that you'll do an inventory? So sometimes you'll go back and re-look at some of the things that are out in the back of the cupboard somewhere and say, well, OK, I wonder what this is. Or you just go through it and then go, oh, maybe there's something there.
2: So sometimes that that can definitely happen. You can just go back and do some cataloging, I guess. Um, but in this case, uh, I'd started my PhD and I inquired to um, a bunch of different museums to see if they had any dinosaur material. Um, so I reached out to the South Australian Museum, which is where the skull is kept, um, and they said because uh, I was looking for dinosaur teeth. So they said, "Well, we don't really have any. We don't really have any teeth, but." We have this uh, a skull of a dinosaur that's just been sitting here. If you'd like to take a look, so we jumped at that chance because that's a an amazing opportunity.
1: How good was it though? That bit of research and finding that, especially as you're doing like your PhD.
2: Yeah, it was it was amazing. Uh, Skulls uh, in general are pretty rare, um, especially within Australia. Um, so to be able to have the chance to, to work on the second skull of this um, type of dinosaur, on the first uh, from its location, uh, was really an incredible experience.
1: Hey Timmy, you one of those people that as a kid you just
2: loved dinosaurs? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think it started with Barney, and then I think it, uh, <laughs> it just increased from there.
0: James, hello. I would love to say that my father is a dinosaur. Dad, I love you very much. Um, I would like to ask about alligators and crocodiles. They say that they are from uh, a dinosaur period, yet a dinosaur meaning in the Oxford Dictionary is a mammal that is extinct. And I would like to ask Tim what the exact definition is of a dinosaur, A and B, is a
1: crocodile considered a dinosaur? Or a descendant of, Tim?
2: Yeah, great question. So uh, a dinosaur is based on a couple of different characteristics. Um, I think it's mostly to do with some of their their hip bones, um, but I'm not quite sure, but um, crocodiles uh, actually evolved before dinosaurs. So they were around um, during the whole time that dinosaurs were, um, but they were around for for quite a bit before dinosaurs were on the scene. Were they bigger? Uh, the crocodiles uh, did get pretty big. Um, they also had a lot of weird, uh, unique features, like some of them had pug-like faces and things like that. So crocodiles were doing pretty crazy things uh, before dinosaurs showed up.
1: So they were pre-dinosaur, lived through the dinosaur period. Is that because there wasn't a dinosaur that would prey on it?
2: So there definitely were some that would, would eat them, but they, they managed to be able to thrive still throughout uh, the dinosaur period. And then um, obviously when the dinosaurs left, they were able to, to keep going.
1: Are we a continent that had a lot of dinosaurs and were they as large as we associate the dinosaurs in other continents?
2: So we definitely had a lot of dinosaurs, um, especially recently we've had quite a, a few discoveries. Um, some of them did get pretty big, uh, but not quite as big as some of the, the titans from, from around the world.
1: Do we know why? Um,
2: it's, it could just be because we haven't found some of the, the really big ones yet, uh, but our sauropod dinosaurs, so our long-necked dinosaurs, um, did get pretty big. So I would say um, uh, 16 metres or so long. Um, so, so quite big, but, but still not as big as some of the ones from, say, uh, South America, which reached up to, to 30 or so metres long.
1: We also saw just recently they were talking about large sharks that were around that period of time, like dinosaur period too.
2: Yeah, so sharks have been around for for millions and millions of years, so there were definitely sharks that would have preyed on some unfortunate dinosaurs that uh, happened to go into the water where they were. Um, but they were definitely quite large, and then they eventually got. Even larger with the megalodon after the the dinosaurs had had disappeared.
1: Because they're not well, of course they're not reptilian, so they're not considered to be dinosaurs. They're just dirty, great big suckers of mammals.
2: Yeah, pretty much. So the the sharks are all just a big fish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Our guest this morning is Tim Fraunfelder. I've got to because there are a lot of animals that we associate Tim with dinosaurs, and I've got a text that says, "In reality, how close a cassowary is to living dinosaurs."
2: Uh, I would say pretty close. So cassowaries are a, a living dinosaur. So all birds um, are descendants of dinosaurs. Um, so pretty close.
1: Cassowary, but a cassowaries is even closer because they're scarier. Uh, I'm not too sure on that one, but
2: uh, possibly. So they do look very dinosaur-like, yeah. and I I would absolutely be terrified to meet one if I ever did. <laughs>
1: are they are they amongst in on this continent? Um, cassowaries are close to descendants. Did we have large birds on this continent?
2: Uh, that's a good question. Or birds um, type? Uh, there were definitely birds around here when the dinosaurs were here. Um, but at that point, I think they were they're quite small. Um, but I'm not too sure about after when the dinosaurs left, if we ever got any of those uh, terror birds or things like that, the really tall uh, birds that were run around, similar to a cassowary, and eat things up.
1: Tim, where have most of the discoveries been made with dinosaurs? I know that off Broome, there are a lot of dinosaur footprints. And for a long time, yep. people didn't even realise that they were dinosaur footprints.
2: Yeah, so um, uh, there's quite a few places, actually. Uh, there's kind of a three or four hotspots, I guess you could say. Um, Broome is definitely one of them. Um, So all the footprints up in Broome, uh, on the coast of Victoria uh, is where all the dinosaurs from down there come from, Uh, Lightning Ridge in New South Wales, Um, and in Queensland there's a a few different places, so there's like Aramanga, um, Isisford, uh, but Winton would kind of be the, the main hub for dinosaurs in Queensland.
1: And what sort of dinosaurs are they that we associate with those discoveries?
2: So, we mostly find herbivorous dinosaurs. Uh, so, lots of um, ornithopod dinosaurs. So, if you kind of think of um, similar to Iguanodon or the, uh, the duck billed dinosaurs that, that people might be familiar with, um, and sauropods. So, the really big, long necked dinosaurs that were meters and meters long. Um, they're the most common dinosaurs that we find. Uh, We do find some some ankylosaurs, like the one that I described, Um, but the carnivorous dinosaurs, so the the theropods, are pretty rare. So we have um, Australovenator from Winton, um, Lightning Claw from Lightning Ridge, um, but also kind of a lot of other carnivorous teeth from from around Australia. But um, in terms of carnivorous dinosaurs, that's pretty much what we've got.
1: So how big were those carnivorous ones?
2: Uh, pretty big. I would say uh, Australovenator, um, uh, from memory, I think is a, a sub-adult dinosaur, and it's probably, uh, I would say, between five to six feet tall. So... Big, but not, but not huge.
1: Yeah, because isn't that interesting? Because we always associate dinosaurs as being huge, and yeah. like and, and, but the recognition that not necessarily that they weren't all that big.
2: Yeah, so we often, often the, the most popular dinosaurs are the, the really, really big one, um, but it's definitely not the case. We always find lots of, of quite small dinosaurs. Um, I think most of the dinosaurs in Australia uh, are pretty small.
1: It's one of the things with that, with the discovery of dinosaurs, that there are probably discoveries made? People find things, but they don't even realise that they're dinosaurs?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes, uh, like how I found the skull in the, the museum, so sometimes they might find something, but it's labelled something else. Um, but then eventually someone will come along and look at it and go, oh, no, that's that's a dinosaur. Or, or something like that. Um, so it, it happens all the time.
1: One, I got a text here saying, can you ask your guest, was T-Rex a scavenger or a killer?
2: Ah, good question. Uh, so uh, both. So it was definitely uh, big enough and strong enough to, to take down its own prey. Um, but like today, uh, most carnivores will, will scavenge if, if given the opportunity to do so.
1: We're taking a look at dinosaurs on the program. Our guest is Tim Fraunfelder, who is a PhD candidate in paleontology at the University of New England. Tim, you also take a look at teeth. What are the things that you can learn from teeth?
2: So with teeth, uh, you can learn uh, sort of how strong the teeth were. So were they able to, you know, break through bone? Were they able to break through branches and things like that? Um, and you can also look at uh, things called microware features. So whenever an animal or, or us even um, eats, we form little uh, scratches or pits um, in our teeth. Uh, and uh, so looking at those uh, scratches and pits, you can actually tell uh, whether or not uh, the animal was eating hard or soft food or um, how high up uh, in the canopy that the animal might have been eating as well. So there's a lot of different things you can tell from teeth, and they're one of the most common um, dinosaur finds worldwide um, because they were constantly shedding their teeth. So uh, we have loads of them, so there's lots of stuff that you can get from them.
1: I oh, so did they shed their teeth? Did they regrow?
2: Yeah, so they regrow similar to sharks and crocodiles, um, but dinosaurs had uh, some of the fastest uh replacement rates um ever so the the big sauropod dinosaurs um some of them were replacing one tooth every uh, 15 20 days so
1: oh wow very
2: very fast yeah
1: so did it was it the same way as sharks Because you know how sharks they sort of like fold forward so they grow from yep. the back and fold forward was it the same with dinosaurs
2: so not quite so they didn't uh i guess end up with a mouth full of Uh, little kind of rows of teeth, I guess you could say. Um, So one would eventually fall out and then another one would kind of take its place. Uh, But often they could have, um, you know, three or four or even more teeth kind of sitting inside the jaw, uh, waiting to just replace that one tooth.
1: Because that regeneration process is so fast.
2: Yeah, so I think uh, the formation days is probably, it takes a a few days for the tooth to form. Hmm. Um, But yeah, every 15 or so days, the the fastest rates at least, they were replacing their teeth really, really quick.
1: Someone said, the demon ducks of doom, the bullicornis, is this right, was a large flightless bird of Australia, two and a half metres tall? Oh, I'm not sure. Possibly. So, sounds. Mind you, you've got to understand that quite often people will send things in, Tim, to, to try and fool me. But if anyone <laughs> knows more about that, one three hundred eight hundred triple two, the number to call. Um, Shelley, hello.
0: Uh, hello. I just thought I'd contribute. Um, Riversley was mentioned by my parents as being a place where dinosaurs could be found. Um, but the main thing I'd like to contribute is a, a diprotodon small jaw um, uh, that they found in Lake Calabona. A, a very small piece, like two to three inches long, hmm. with a kind of double tooth. Um, and they said that it was uh, from Lake Calabona um, and the diprotodons, who were kind of giant wombats um, uh the time, they were quite big, like uh, a metre, two metres about in in size, Mm. and they got stuck in the mud. And so they've been found in, like, they went too far into the, you know, into the lake or the small pond, wherever it was, and got stuck. Um, so that that's Lake Calabona, I'd like to add, as a possible site. But I'd like to hear, you know, your experts comment about that.
1: Can you tell us where Lake Calabona it is, Shelley? No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I wasn't there. Sorry, oh, okay. Do you know what state and it's I, in? Well... Or- Sorry, what state it's in?
0: Uh, no, I can take a guess and say South uh, South Australia, um, or, or, or or yeah, um, but um, uh, no, I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm ignorant with regards oh, to right. that. Riversley, I think, is in Queensland.
1: Okay, so Juice, can you comment on that, Tim?
2: So yeah, so Riversley is up in Queensland. Uh, I think it's quite far north. Um. But, but that's really cool that, um, diprotodon material was found there. I wonder if any of the, the mammal, uh, paleontologists know about that. Um, but I can comment on, on saying, uh, how, how, uh, you mentioned that it got stuck in the mud, mm. um, and then, and died out there. So that happens, um, with, with large mammals too. So there's the La Brea tar pits, um, in the US. They kind of walked out into the tar and got stuck. Um, and also up in Winton. So some of their dinosaurs, they think uh, wandered out into a, a watering hole or something like that, uh, the big sauropods at least, but they were too heavy to actually lift their legs out once they've gotten in there. Um, so they ended up dying in those watering holes too. So it's, so it's been happening for a while.
1: What was that big... So what's the big wombat one called?
2: Uh, diprotodon.
1: Tell us a little bit about that one.
2: So it's a, a really giant wombat. So I think it is yeah, one to two metres... Uh, in length or height, um, so very different to the to the wombat that we've we've got today.
1: Yeah, and that's and so there have been quite a few of those found. I think so. I think they're
2: found uh, pretty much um, all over Australia. I yeah. would say.
1: hello, Peter. G'day, mate. How are you going? Good, thanks, Pete. Talking about the dip. There's a uh, big scarlet. <laughs> I don't know where they get this idea they're one or
0: two metres long. I mean, the, the size of the head that's out at um, Wellington,
2: at the caves there, um, there's, a, there's one in their exhibition room. Um, it's, the head itself looks to be around about bloody two metres
0: long.
1: Tim, I've got a text here that asks whether or not there are dreaming stories or the way that information about dinosaurs from Indigenous communities have been passed on.
2: Yeah, so I only know of one, uh, but I'm sure that there's there's many, many out there. Um, but the one that I, I do know uh, briefly of is uh, from Broom, uh, about the, the dinosaur footprints out there. So I believe it's called uh, Morala the Emu Man. Um, so he would uh, travel around and leave three-toed footprints um, everywhere he, he went, similar to the like an emu footprint, um, but also similar to the the three-toed footprints um, up in Broome.
1: When you look at the discoveries that have been made, is there a reason that some discoveries are made, some discoveries aren't? Because there are certain areas that are really well recognised for dinosaur discoveries like in (laughs) Canada and Argentina. Is there a reason there are more discoveries in some places in comparison to others?
2: Yeah, so... um, in Australia, for instance, so we, we, we do have quite a few discoveries. It's, it's, I guess, it's been ramping up for quite a while now. But Australia is um, pretty flat, and it also contains some of the oldest rocks on the surface. So I think Australia's had uh, quite a few million years um, of erosion take place. So a lot of the rocks have already eroded away um, or they're deep underground, so in places uh, like Lightning Ridge.
1: I've got a text saying Lake um, Calabona is in north-south Australia, about 120 kilometres from Cameron's Corner. Thank you. We're taking a look this morning at dinosaurs and Australian dinosaurs. If you've got any questions you'd like to make or comments, one 300 800 22. Have you been out to sea? Any of the dinosaur relics? Have you been to Inverloch, where there are recognises lots of dinosaur stuff? Have you also been to Broome and had a walk out to have a look at the dinosaur footprints in Broome, which you have to travel a long way out and on low tide to discover those? Our guest this morning, as I was saying, is Timothy Fraunfelder, PhD candidate of palaeontology. Hey, you know the ones in Broome. Tim and yep. in those places, they're quite often that you have to travel a long way out, especially at low tide, to be able to find them. Is there a reason for that, or it just so happens that these are the ones that have been discovered, and there may be others around the area that may not have been recognised as even being footprints?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a combination. So it's mostly that's so with footprints, um, that's where the dinosaur walked or, or ran and moved. So those footprints are sort of stuck in place, whereas uh, bones and things can get transported you know, for miles and you know, kilometers and things like that. So it's a combination of just where it is, um, but also along the coast, so the coast of Broome and coast of Victoria, um, you get a lot of rock exposure along the coast. So that makes it a little bit easier to, to find them.
1: And I presume it means that whatever they have stepped on or in needs to be able to, number one, make a footprint, and number two, make a footprint that can last.
2: Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think the the sand or the mud needs to be quite firm uh, when they stepped in, and they need to be buried uh, pretty quickly so that it doesn't dry out or get washed away and things like that. So you need quite perfect circumstances uh, for those
1: footprints to fossilise. Uh, John joins us. Hello, John. Hello. Yes, sir. Um, look, I've always been curious about the coelacanth, and It is said or said to be in
0: the Indian Ocean. Still, uh, uh, as you guessed, ever seen any
1: proof of this? I've never seen any photographs of any uh, any coelacanth that's been um, examined or caught or anything. Is um, doesn't exist or what? What's a coelacanth, Tim?
2: So a silicanth is, I believe, a a three-lobed fish. So it's got uh, quite a lot of fins, I guess, if you're looking at it, um, that were kind of uh, the precursors for eventually walking on land. Um, But it does exist. Um, I've seen some photos on the internet, um, but I haven't actually seen one in person, which would be amazing to be able to see.
1: If you get the opportunity, or where are the places that you would like to go to that are so well recognised, both within Australia and overseas, for the dinosaur discoveries?
2: Um, well, I haven't been to where they find the dinosaurs in Victoria. Um, so I'd love to go down there. Um, I would also love uh, to find things uh, in South America. Um, so sauropod dinosaurs, the big long necks, are my favourite. Uh, and they find the giant the giants of the giants down there. Um, So I would love to be able to dig one up.
1: I've got a text here that says, um, did anyone read that how and why wonder book on dinosaurs? I read it for two years as a kid and there is no other book that mattered, says Craig. (laughs) Uh, I probably read it, um, but I'm not too sure. How do they make sure that there's good conservation with the dinosaurs, both within, to say, dinosaur footprints, but also where there are dinosaur relics across the country?
2: Yeah, so each um, state laws are, are different. Um, so each each state's got their own kind of requirements if people want to go and collect fossils, um, uh, sometimes they they can be protected. Um, I'm not too sure what the regulations are for Australia, but uh, for things overseas uh, in Canada, so Dinosaur Provincial Park, um, there it's illegal to to take any fossils out of that uh, preserve uh, without being a, a qualified or person or someone with permission to be able to do that. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, exporting of fossils and things, I'm not sure if there's, there's any laws in Australia that really um, stop that or anything like that, but uh, there is a, a project going on at the moment um, called uh, I Found a Fossil um, by Macquarie master student um, Sally Hurst, mm. and it's basically trying to pull all the information on what to do if you find a fossil or um, an Indigenous artefact. and who can you talk to, and, and those types of things, which is a, a really cool project.
1: Um, what, why is that important? Because Number one, how do you know? <laughs> because, yep. there, I mean, there, you, we associate fossils with some of the ones that we see in shells that are in rock. But apart from that, how do we know?
2: So sometimes it, it can be quite difficult um, in terms of, uh, say, Lightning Ridge, um, all the fossils found there are all opal, so they're all opalized. So sometimes it can be quite hard to tell the an actual fossil from just a, a piece of opal, but uh, one really good way to tell the difference between fossil and rock um, is to lick it, uh, which sounds a bit silly, hmm. but uh, when you if you lick say if if it uh, is a bone, uh, it should stick to your tongue, um, whereas if it's a rock, it shouldn't stick to your tongue.
1: So when you say stick to the tongue, I mean like. Don't necessarily mean that it sticks as in it's going to stick and not fall off, but that it has that it feels sticky to the tongue,
2: yeah, so it should kind of feel like it sticks almost as you as you're licking it. yeah, um but that's uh, the bone's quite porous, so it's got like all this kind of um, airy internal texture that should stick to your tongue once it gets wet. Um, but I always recommend if if people find things and they're not sure to email. Um, pictures to their uh, the museum of that state um, as they usually do fossil ID things over email and and
1: things like that. Those ones that opalize or that, that can be found in opal, they must be quite beautiful.
2: Yeah, sometimes you can get all of the opal colors within a, a single fossil specimen, um, so they're pretty incredible to look at.
1: So does that mean, though, that the same thing would apply there? That if the, that it is bone, that even though it's it's opalized or, or has those sorts of colours and that sort of texture, that it will still stick to the tongue as well?
2: No, I think because it's a, a gemstone, uh, it won't do that. Oh, okay, but um, I haven't actually tried on any of the stuff that's got internal texture showing. So next time, next trip, I'll have to
1: do that. Next trip. That's interesting, though. So, And if people wanting to become part of that, they're wanting to find out about... Because you don't want just everyone walking around just licking rocks everywhere.
2: (laughs) It would be a funny sight to see. (laughs) Um, But uh, a lot of the, I guess, the the major hubs on the East Coast, so Winton, Lightning Ridge and Victoria, um, uh, and also Aramanga as well, have paid experiences that people can do yeah, uh, where you go out for for a week or so and um, help find or dig up dinosaurs.
1: Look it's been great talking to you this morning so if people want to find out more about that project as far as dinosaurs and finding out whether or not they have fragments of what's the best place for them to go?
2: Yeah so the website's called foundafossil.com and you can click whether or not you think you've got a an artifact or a fossil, and then it'll go down uh, and ask some more questions as you go through, Um, and it will then eventually point you into the the right direction of who to actually contact.
1: Good stuff. Um, Yeah. Hey, look, thanks for talking to us about it today, Tim.
2: Thanks for having me. It's been great.
1: Good stuff. Tim Fraunfeld, a PhD candidate in paleontology and discoverer of a new dinosaur, which was a discovery that was from within a university.